0: on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life and what an amazing week it's been in the Tokyo Olympics. We had medals Monday as swimmer Adam Peaty, high divers Tom Daly and Matty Lee and cyclist Tom Pidcock all won gold in Tokyo on a great day for Team GB. Duncan Scott and Tom Dean brought home gold and silver in the 200 metres freestyle swim The British team haven't done that since 1908, and the world seems to have stumbled onto the nail-biting drama of taekwondo, where a swift kick in the head can lead to medals glory. Whether you love sport, relish the Olympics and get up in the middle of the night to see various competitions live, or you loathe the whole thing and can't wait for it to be over, we can't fail to admire the grit, mental and physical discipline that all the athletes show as they give themselves to the biggest moment of their lives. They live through years of early morning workouts and punishing routines. They have to show steely discipline to get anywhere near an Olympic podium. And so, sports fans or not, there are lessons that we can learn from the Olympians About the power of possibility, about mental and physical discipline, about living heart healthy. It was about 30 years ago when I made what I thought was the final decision. I'm not an athlete, I concluded, and so physical exercise would not be part of my life. I would eat sensibly, drink moderately, but my ever increasing shadow would not darken the doors of a gym. Those who worked out, I decided, were not mere mortals like me. And as for those Olympic-level competitors, they were demigods, epic souls to admire, but impossible to emulate. This anti-fitness choice came after careful consideration of extensive data, like the fact that bending over to tie up my shoes took my breath away. And I had a long history of being rubbish at anything remotely sporty. I still blush crimson when I remember playing football during high school, Despite being placed in the defensive position of left back, I enthusiastically dashed all over the field for the first five minutes of the game until our irate and unnaturally chiselled sports teacher blew his whistle and, punctuating his questions with swear words, asked me what on earth I was playing at. I had no defence, literally, seeing as I was offside at the front of the field instead of being dutifully defensive at the back of the field. I knew back then that I'd never be able to bend anything like Beckham. And I hated rope climbing, mainly because I couldn't ever climb a rope, which is a shame because rope climbing was an Olympic sport until 1932. And I understand it's threatening to make a comeback. Even though I was moved when I read about the gold medal winning performance of Olympian George Ezer, who won the rope climbing event in 1904, and did it with just one wooden leg, I knew that even with two legs of my own, I'd be absolutely hopeless. And I was a chaotic jumble of bouncing limbs on the trampoline. I'd come last in the cross-country run and complained that oxygen was not provided. I was pretty good at cricket when it came to keeping score, not playing it. And so all of this led me to conclude, if sedentary living became an Olympic activity, I might stand a chance at victory. But until then, I had no hope. All of which makes me wonder, in what other areas of my life have I hoisted a white flag of surrender and submitted myself to a sentence of sameness? Have I unwittingly decided that like the proverbial leopard, I can never change my spots? We all make endless decisions, most of them subconsciously, about what we can and cannot do, and so we write ourselves off from possibility and potential. Where have we decided that everything might change, but we can't? Have we succumbed to that innocuous habit pattern, which is more annoying than perilous, or the silent stalking of addiction, which doesn't send us an email to announce that we're trapped in its grasp? We don't pray because we think we can't pray. We don't risk because we think it's not in our nature to take a risk. We don't learn a new skill because we've decided it's too late to learn a new skill. And often, we're quite wrong. Some things that we think we can't do can be done. A few years ago, I changed my mind about me. Today, I can only look at those Olympians with admiration, but I work out three times a week. I lift weights, puff and pant on an elliptical, and hang upside down like a bat on an inverter, which is odd, but apparently has some benefits. I'm healthier at 65 than I was at 35, and it's due in part because I started to believe that I could live differently. If anyone should believe that we can change, we Christians should. We're the ones who believe that change doesn't just come from gritted teeth and sweat but that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the transformer working within each of us. I'm also pleased to report that I did manage to showcase my trampolining skills for royalty. Attending a youth club where the late Prince Philip was visiting, we were told to follow two vital instructions. Bow when you meet him, then carry on doing whatever you're doing, because he wants to see a youth club in action." Bouncing away on the trampoline when the illustrious guest arrived, I was horrified when he headed directly to me, where my aerial display of flailing arms and legs all akimbo was not to be a pretty sight. But I learned something about royal etiquette that day. It's really hard to bow and bounce at the same time, but it can be done. So let's face the question again, all of us. Where have we hoisted the white flag of surrender in our lives, And told ourselves that change is impossible. Perhaps we need to look at what's unhealthy in us and know that with God's help, with good choices, with support from others, fueled by the adrenaline of the Holy Spirit, nourished by a healthy diet of scripture, that in our lives it can be done. We can change. We're talking about being heart-healthy, the pressure of the Euro penalties or the focus needed in any sport, particularly when millions are watching you as it is in the Tokyo Olympics, it all calls for mental fortitude. But when I exercise, run, work out, my brain exercises its considerable strength to resist all my efforts. My mind gets an edge in the battle long before physical weariness begins to assault my body and how my mind minds me exercising. I get dressed and ready to go to the gym. I peer through the window. It looks freezing out there, and the couch is so very comfortable. It was surely designed just for me while I was still in my mother's womb. And there might be grizzly bears or giant anacondas or aliens from outer space out waiting there to abduct me and take me to the mothership as I make my way to the gym. And another cup of tea would be just so lovely. And then, if and when I do make it to the car, the war begins in earnest. Because I get to the gym and start my workout, my two operative brain cells send me urgent messages, usually just a few minutes into exercise, screaming that this whole workout thing is complete madness, that a man of my age should be reclining on a beach somewhere, inhaling a jumbo-sized double pepperoni pizza, and that the best thing to do would be to run out of the gym right now, hail a taxi and head for the nearest Dunkin' Donuts. My mind is capable of many dirty tricks, sometimes resorting to downright intimidation. During yesterday's workout, I became convinced of the imminent likelihood of a heart attack, stroke and or brain tumour if I persisted with my commitment to exercise. It was at that point too, that malaria and an assortment of exotic tropical diseases began to loom, and of course the thought that being in the gym meant immersing myself in COVID nasties. You see, the mind baffles and confuses us. Seasoned runners are well-practiced in this mental tug-of-war, and they prepare themselves to hit what marathon competitors call the wall. You know you've hit the wall when you have nothing left, mentally or physically. You're running on empty, and the road ahead seems utterly desolate. I'm told that you usually run into the wall at around the 15-mile mark. When I run, I usually slam into a tonne of bricks at about 150 metres. All of my initial mental enthusiasm, which got me out there in the first place, suddenly drains away, and I am consumed with a fervent prayer for the provision of oxygen. It's not that I really need it. You see, my problem isn't to do with stamina, but with that defeated voice that often whispers inside me, urging me to throw in the towel. As one advertisement for Athletic Shoes puts it, running is me against me. The question is, which part of me will win? The faith-filled, passionate, disciplined me, or the bloke who prefers lifting a hamburger to my mouth rather than power-lifting weights over my head? And I can hit the proverbial wall in many other areas of my life too. That same internal nagger insists that I can't pray effectively, that I'm a failure as a husband, parent, leader, and friend, and that massive disaster and failure is probably just around the corner anyway. So, what's the point of trying? But it is worth trying. So, in addition to fighting flab physically, building muscle, and increasing my stamina, I need to exercise my mind too. Scripture calls us to think on whatever is good, pure, honest, and of good report. We're told to take our thoughts captive. But what does that mean? More after this. Take every thought captive. That's what the Bible calls us to do if we're to live heart healthy. But how can we do that? I'm not into think positive slogans but God does call me to take my thoughts captive and place rogue ideas under arrest rather than allowing any passing notion to wander into my heart and therefore engage in a hostile mental takeover. I sometimes forget that my mind is the servant of my soul and not the other way around. Like the marathon runner who knows that the wall is coming and prepares for it, We need to post sentries at the doorways of our minds. You and I are not at the mercy of every passing thought. So here's what sounds like a really strange idea. We need to be brainwashed. Yes, that's what I said. There's a myth that some people in the world are being brainwashed, but here's the news. We all are. What are we using to wash our brains in every day? Our brains are bombarded with ideas during every waking second of life. My brain is like a magnet. Every time I hear a conversation, read a magazine, anything at all, ideas rush at my head. Advertisers know all about this. They hand over millions for a 30-second television commercial because they know that their nagging insistence that I buy their stuff actually works. Trendy Hollywood movie directors insist that their latest cinematic offering – actually affects nobody it's all just harmless entertainment however licentious or violent it might be but when nobody's looking those very same tinsel town architects pocket small fortunes from companies who want their cars their breakfast cereals their watches to appear in the film for just a few seconds so impressionable are we that's why it's so absolutely vital that i feed my mind on the pure truth of scripture When I come to the Bible, I rinse my brain, I wash my brain, if you like, in undiluted truth. I immerse myself in messages from the can-do God who invites me to play a part in his plan rather than messing around with destructive trivia. I suddenly see life through the 2020 lens of his perspective. Similarly, I find that my relationships can help or hinder my mental and spiritual well-being, my heart health. We've all met people who inspire and invigorate us, while there are others who, after five minutes, leave us feeling in despair. The company we keep is important. I become a whiner when I hang out with whiners for too long, but I've spent years nurturing a few friendships with people I know who would challenge, invigorate, confront, and comfort me. And it's not just a one way street about my well being. I want to be the kind of friend who encourages, who leaves behind a sense of hope to persevere in the race ahead. Meanwhile, back to all of my exercising. Sadly, all this effort and sweat is not a guarantee of more youthful looks. Out shopping recently, we stumbled across a man with a little sideshow who was guessing people's ages for a small price. I handed over the money, but it was a complete con. He was way off in his estimate of my vintage. Unfortunately, there was no money back guarantee. I'm 65 and he put me at 73. For a moment, I was tempted to just get out there and reach for the donuts. But then I remembered that exercise is not just to simulate some anti-aging drug and enable me to pretend that the advancing years are suddenly retreating. But I want to live healthier and longer with a clear mind and a body that won't let me down when the schedule is grueling. Come to think of it, that's why I need a healthy heart too. Better, longer living that can steer me through the storms when circumstantial tremors threaten to shake my faith, when the trusted colleague has an affair or the child my friend prays for dies in an accident, when God seems very long distant and nothing seems to make sense, scripture that we have washed our brains in, understood and lived out can literally be a lifesaver. We can change. We can wash our minds in truth. We can develop friendships, team players that can help us have an Olympian spirit. See you next time. Lucas on Life.